Hey, this is Channing. And this is Leah. And you've reached Vessel Art as a Doorway. Welcome to episode 15. Hey guys, we're just so happy that you're here with us on this episode today. Last week, we got a chance to interview Jane Bamford, and we spoke to her about her project with CSIRO. And today we get to interview one of her neighbors, actually, in Tasmania as well, Louise Wallace and Nell Smith. And it is such a fascinating interview that we have with the both of them. I think you're really going to enjoy it. So Nell works at an environmental organization called Greening Australia, and Louise works at the University of Tasmania as a professor teaching architecture to students. So before the students learn how to create dwellings for humans, they learn in this project how to create dwellings for animals, and many of these animals are endangered species. And one thing about these dwellings is that they have to work well with the environment. So there's so much to talk about with this program, and we don't want to spoil it. We'll let you hear it straight from them, and we'll get right into it. Audience, we have the pleasure of having Louise Wallace and Nell Smith with us today. Welcome, you guys. We're so happy to have you on Vessel Art as a Doorway podcast. Thank you. Yes, thank you. It's a pleasure. It's good to hear you guys' voices. Now, you guys are in Tasmania, Australia, not in the States at all. Now, we're actually having this discussion. It's about 7 o'clock our time. And what time is it? it? This is on a Monday 7 p.m. and with your time what, what time is it right now just afternoon afternoon so, <laughs> so the sun is streaming in and it's a gorgeous day here in tasmania but of course we're um coming out of winter early just emerging into spring here so we're um we've had snow last week uh, which is quite unusual snow whoa snow, that is snow to sea level that is yeah okay okay wow that's really interesting and it's tuesday <laughs> it is, time. yeah. <laughs> so it doesn't show how the world turns, isn't it? But uh, right. we're, we're so happy to have both of you. And we look really forward to having this discussion. Because in this discussion, audience, what you're going to find out is how art not only affects a community, but it has an impact on the climate and animal life and various other things that you'll find in this discussion. I think you're going to be really amazed as we get right into this with Louise and Nell. Now, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Let's start off with Nell. We'd identify Nell as being one of the education managers at Greening Australia. That's right, yes. So I work um, on a variety of different education projects around Tasmania, but we're mostly focused in the Midlands of Tasmania, which is a, a biodiversity hotspot. So it's an area that has... Um, a high number of threatened species in the area. So I work with um, students in, in local schools and in fact schools around Tasmania on projects like planting trees, germinating trees, uh, working with farmers and also working with researchers from the University of Tasmania who identify where we plant and what we need to plant in terms of um, the biodiversity factors. So we get funded by the John Roberts Trust which is a, a local trust and also the Disney Foundation, you'd be interested to know, funds our work in the Midlands of Tasmania. So I'm, I work with, as I said, with, with university researchers. And so in the beginning, of, we've been um, working on this project for the last five years or so with schools. And it's really evolved from just being a planting uh, activity on, on the farms with students um, to actually creating a range of um, exciting opportunities like big days out for the community and big nights out where we involve scientists coming in to share their understandings of the science of the Midlands with, with the local community and with students. And also we've just um, taken up a partnership with the University of uh, Tasmania with Louise um, over the last 
three and a half years to actually engage um, architecture and design into our understandings of the landscape in the Midlands of Tasmania. And that's really created a really rich experience for our students and also for Louise's, as you'll hear from her. Well, that's fascinating. Now, Louise, could you uh, tell us a little bit about your background? I'm a university lecturer at the School of Architecture and Design at the University of Tasmania. I've um, been working there for 20 years, mainly um, teaching first-year students. They are so enthusiastic and unhindered to to do many things. Before you know something is the the best time to get people when um, their eyes light up and um, they don't have anything holding them back. It's uh, prior to that, I I moved to Tasmania. So apparently you don't become Tasmanian until you've been here for about 20 years. So I'm only just perhaps becoming Tasmanian. I'm originally from Queensland, from a small country town. Very nice. It must be a beautiful area out there in Tasmania, huh? It is gorgeous. It, it, It has every landscape that you can imagine in a little island and um, this little island has half a million people on it and yet there's so much space and driving, walking, riding, it, it changes pretty quickly because the topography can be valleys, it can be mountains, it can be lakes. Um, so yeah, it's, it's always fantastic. It just depends which way you head in that you see these things and it's, it's always a delight. Um, a, a great place to be and a place that you just want to be out there more often if you possibly can. And, so, and we have no active cases of COVID <laughs> at the uh, moment. <laughs> that's a blessing. Louise, we always, well, one of the things that we like to ask our guests is what was their first memory of art? And what, can you remember where you were? We'll start with you. Louise. I can. And um, this was an interesting um question to think about because um, I, can remake, I can remember making lots of art but my first first seeing a piece of something that was called art was probably when I was 12 and um, we went to visit some friends in the big city so in the big capital city and um, in their house they had lots of framed pictures by an artist called um, Lloyd Reese. And not so long after I saw those pictures, there are lots of pictures of buildings in landscapes, interestingly enough, little detailed sketches, liner cuts, that sort of thing. At their place, there was this big newspaper article which um, was framed and it said, Reese dies at blah, blah, blah. And it was the front page of the state newspaper. And I was very perplexed. How could an artist mean so much to the state of Queensland and how did it make the front page of the newspaper and they'd framed this and it was in their house. So that was probably my first experience of thinking, oh, wow, look at this. And I really liked drawing and making things myself. But then to see this newspaper article or this headline that was on their um, wall and just thinking, an artist? They put an artist on the front of a newspaper and it's so significant that he died. Um, that, that was quite perplexing for me because I, I came from part of the world where everything's very practical and it's very much about um, growing, supporting, doing all those sorts of things. But it, there weren't artists or there weren't a lot of talk about artists where I grew up. Why do you think that memory stuck with you? personally is it because of the fact that just wrapping your head around like the fact that there was this artist or were you familiar with the art after you saw it I became more familiar after it um and interestingly enough um this artist later in his life taught architecture students at a university in Sydney I didn't know that at the time and I wonder whether this could have been the start of how my interest in art and architecture evolved because at the same age I would have just gone to high school and for the first time we had art classes with an art teacher so all these things sort of opened up at this point in time and um, my perspective of what was possible 
what you could do as a career um, or, or what people did apart from, um, you know, the typical things of like being a teacher or a doctor or a nurse or a, a builder, um, those avenues had never crossed my mind before. Mm-hmm. And so that seeing that people could actually do that because, as I said, I was very much a person who loved drawing and painting. To see that somebody could actually do that um, through their life was just really remarkable to me. Now, we have someone here from the Tasmanian Youth Climate Leaders Program. Now, <laughs> now, now <laughs> I see that sign behind you there. <laughs> yes. And I know you've had uh, quite a number of really interesting, fascinating events, actually, events and programs happen. But let's bring it that question to you. What was your first memory of art? And well, where were you? Can you think back? Yes. Well, my first significant memory is with my high school teacher in, um, in a, I, I lived in a small country town in Huonville, which is uh, south of Hobart. He talked about the making of the Sydney Opera House by Utson. And at the time, um, it was very controversial and it's still very controversial. You know, the history of of the making of that building in Sydney and everybody, all your listeners will be, you know, it's an icon of Australia, the Sydney Opera House. But it was a very um, controversial process of, of um, the construction and I was very much heard about this this dialogue from my art teacher who was very passionate about it and I'm I, at that stage I made the connection between those beautiful sails and and and, and nature um, being created in a building and being in a that building being inspired by nature was such a significant experience for me at that time and so I guess since then it that sort of seed of, um, of of being inspired by nature, I've I've taken that through my work. That is so interesting. Now, recently, I believe last week there there was some events and programs that you were involved in. Uh, could you tell us a little bit more about that? We've been working in the Midlands of Tasmania, as I mentioned, and um, for a while. There's a lot of Aboriginal history in this area. So um, just over 200 years ago, um, European pioneers um, came through that area of the Midlands and 93% of that land is now owned by uh, landholders and, and private farmers. And so the Aboriginal connection has been... So the history of Aboriginal engage, Aboriginal contact and Aboriginal use of the area and the history has been largely hidden by this... Div- by the the farming practices in the Midlands. So I've been very keen to identify the Aboriginal connections in the Midlands of Tasmania. And so we won an Inspiring Australia grant, which is a Science Week grant, um, to bring Aboriginal elders um, to the into the landscape and involve Aboriginal students from the local schools in developing the sense of place and a sense of understanding of, of, of where they, they are living and, and just to be understanding of the history that's gone before and also to be thinking about the future and how the, the Aboriginal science and the cultural understanding can work with the, the scientific investigations around uh, the restoration of the Midlands. And then, so yesterday we actually planted with the students, we planted over 200 trees that had been germinated by local students in the city. We took those trees and letters from the students and uh, some art work from the students and took that up to the students who were actually planting um, in the Midlands and the Aboriginal students. So, and, and, and then we looked at these 300-year-old old-growth trees that day and sort of hugged the trees and then looked at, you know, that we were planting these trees for a, a, a future that, that we were linked in together. 
Um, and, and that's also very much linked with climate change because a lot of the, the, the trees now, because our climate is warming, a lot of these trees, um, we're not sure how well they're going to do in terms of the future. And so we're actually doing research on seed stock and, and taking seed stock from warmer, drier climates and planting some of those, tr- those seeds um, to see how well they will do in the Midlands of Tasmania. So we're linking the research with Aboriginal Indigenous connections and, 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 and combining those to look at the future and um, restoring the biodiversity of this area. Yeah, that's, that's so fascinating. And that's one of the things that really we wanted to get in on is the fact that art, science, research, they're all interconnected. One of the things we wanted to talk about, we, we met you, a previous interview that we had with Jane. And she told us about the fantastic architecture program you guys have been working together with. Could you tell our audience a little bit about it? And I guess we could start with you, Louise. Uh, Well, my students, and this is the reason why I came to the University of Tasmania, they um, do a program, what we call Learning by Making. So it's um, in the States, that's called a design build program. So a lot of times we work for nonprofit communities and we design different things like seats in areas where there's endangered landscapes. We do bus stops, we do little pavilions, we, um, we do play equipment, we do all sorts of things, stage sets and outdoor stages so lots of little projects so students gain an understanding those important listening skills and being able to ask the right question working with community understanding what what's good to them may not be good to them and how how do you collaboratively design something together so in that spirit we were approached about the idea of a species hotel and and being involved in this a one-off essentially we were approached to um, build something and at that point I just thought this project is too good and if we were just building something it wouldn't be as rich for my students the idea is to both design and create so you actually learn through the building so you become a better designer and artist through doing that so it was at that point that I met Nell found that we got on like a house on fire and that we kept talking over the top of each other with all these ideas of how we could do stuff and it's very hard not to talk over each other because we get very enthusiastic and passionate about (laughs) how we can do this and do that we're being very well behaved at the moment by not talking on top of each other but um, essentially we we have this both have a philosophy of let's not talk about it let's just do it let's get out there and and do it and more so with our students Nell with her um, school students mine with university students let's let's not philosophize about it let's just get out there and um, have that connection with our bodies, both in the the place and the sight sensing and the the drawing and the making and, um, yeah, do these things. So then we can look at them, reflect on them, talk about them and appreciate it. And the reason why this project is so appealing, because I, I can imagine so many people in architecture may think what are they doing making species hotels or making things for animals because that's not architecture that's not the Sydney Opera House that's not hospitals how do little animals come into this and um it's it's very deliberate it's very much about capturing that inner child in the university student so thinking about the home is something that they understand really well likewise for school children they understand the concept of home so when you start talking about making homes for animals who have lost their homes 
um, that just allows the imagination to go wild. And then you, you throw in the landscape and different materials, like what sort of materials can you use and what sort of spaces would they like? And then because they can't really talk to us, then we need to talk to the scientists. And they're people that we don't usually work with or have much to do with. We're sort of on the um, the art side of the spectrum, even though science and construction is a part of architecture, it's not something that we have great deals of connection with. So then we get to meet scientists and hear about what crazy things they do at early parts of the morning and how they determine how many baselines of this come about and yeah just a lot of our preconceptions of what we think we're doing for the environment whether that's how that's making a difference what do we need to understand better because as architects inevitably we help other people realize buildings and um, change the landscape by the materials we use and where we build so for us to have a most a closer connection or a better understanding of the environment and how us making buildings completely impacts on the ants, the bees, the birds, all the rest of them. It's just so much more meaningful. That was a really interesting point about what we build can change the landscape of an area. Now, what what are some of what kind of role do you play, and what is some of the the favorite your favorite things about this project that you guys have been working on together? Um, for me, I've always been engaged um, in terms of educating students and teachers about their sense of place and their sense of this is where we live and. I've always asserted with teachers in particular that to actually explore your local place is a very rich learning experience and you can be the experts in your place to actually understand what's there and just to understand that you live here but you also live here within an ecosystem that has a range of biodiversity and then the ecosystem in the Midlands is they share that habitat with Tasmanian devils, with wombats, with um, spotted-tailed quolls and betongs. And these these animals are fascinating and they're actually um, endangered animals in the Midlands of Tasmania. And so for me, that it's about um, engaging with the species hotels is about communicating the message and it's the, communicating the message about that sense of place not just to the students but they go home and talk about it with their families we engage the landholders we engage the scientists so <clears throat> Louise talked about you know the inner child and and learning by making we very much are engaged with learning by doing so that the students actually join with uh, the University of Tasmania's students to actually we engage scientists in the process of, of the species hotels education so we start the program by organizing a big day out where we um, invite the scientists to come in we in, engage landholders and restoration ecologists who come and share their understandings of of the biodiversity in the Midlands um, we also have a big night out which involves you know in you know finding out about bats and frogs and things that are out at night with the community so we engage with the community in that way and with schools in that way and the the primary and the high school students that I work with work alongside Louisa's students who are doing this beautiful investigations and for, for me, it also creates that sort of pathway for our students to, to actually make these beautiful connections with, their, with Louisa's students at university level. And then our students actually go to the workshop at the university and make aspects of these species hotels that, that they can then take back into the landscape. So it's a it's very much a process of of learning by making and learning by doing, but also connecting with with other people who 
who can actually create these beautiful species hotels that then sit in the landscape. So how have you guys seen the projects that they that your students have been working on impact the way they design after they move on from your program? Have you guys, do you know of any examples? Can you think of one or two examples? I, I, I have seen e- examples of it. So very much that sort of consideration when you're building buildings, the fabric of the building, does it have opportunities that not only providing a, a, a shelter or a, a piece of architecture, but it, it, it can be a place that's going to support a bee population with wasps and different things in the actual the building fabric in itself. And then um, I've seen lots of students who have made different little projects themselves and then have put them in their garden or put it on social media, what they're up to. So there's there's definitely a lot of pride. There's a lot of pride in bringing their boyfriends, girlfriends, their children, whoever along to come and see these things. I, I get updates regularly on social media from someone who's driving through because Ross is about an hour away from where we are. So people stop and drop off from the artists, the scientists, anyone who's been involved Involved. Every so often, someone will send you a, a picture, and it's just lovely to see. And um, Nell and I received updates of when um, bees have made themselves at home, or they've seen a bird in one of the boxes, or all these sorts of things. So it, it's this ongoing feedback loop that people stop because Ross being in the middle of Tasmania, it's it's typically we all have to take a stop from driving from one part to the other part. It's it's, it's not really convenient by any other means to get between the two major centres in Tasmania. So it's become this wonderful spot that everyone stops to get out by the, the river and um, have a look what's happening to see evidence of um, all the bird poo over everything is the most obvious thing that you can see on these things is bird poo everywhere and seeing the birds flying in and out and just trying to see what different species you can see as well as looking at the trees because when we um, when we first put installed our first lot of species hotels there and there if you can imagine they're um, a meter by a meter and then they're up to three meters high they're next along to this river which is at the start of this small country town yes for me uh, when i began with the project i um, did a survey of the students and i had on the front of the survey, I had four African animals, you know, a giraffe, a zebra, etc. And over the page were four of the threatened um, animals in the Midlands. And of 180 students, those four animals in the Midlands were the Tasmanian devil, the spotted-tailed quoll, the betong, and the Eastern Barred Bandicoot, all very special animals in the Midlands that are all endangered. And when we did the survey, every student knew the four African animals. Not one student knew the four mammals in the Midlands, that the animals that they live with. So for me, that was a, a powerful message for me to actually get them to you know thinking about raising their awareness of the habitat in the midlands the midlands is a very as i mentioned a very dry landscape and when i ask people what their experience of that landscape is they'll say dry degraded um skeleton trees because the highway, our main highway goes right up through the centre. And so most people's experience of this place is that it is a dry area that hasn't got much going for it. It, it. And it basically has little protection because it's all on private land. So for me, something like the species hotels becomes a symbol of raising that sense of pride in the Midlands of Tasmania. Like we have these amazing species, we have this amazing landscape that's, that is in the Midlands and that 
that for me, the species hotels and the work we're doing around that art is a very powerful way of raising the awareness of, of the habitat and the biodiversity and looking forward into the future with that sense of pride that, that, that develops from creating these beautiful species hotels that are, are a part of the landscape in the Midlands of Tasmania at Ross. Yeah, I really like that term, species hotel. You know, when you go to a hotel, you <laughs> You interact with different people. You may see different people from various countries or uh, various cultures. And just to see how many of these animals, you mentioned the Tasmanian devil, uh, wombats, and what is it, the butong? The butong? Is that? Is the, is betong. That? The betong. Yes. Betong. betong. All right, audience. It's- because it's, a mas- it's a marsupial, if I can just say, it's a marsupial that um, it. It actually has a, a curly tail and it, it carries things in its tail and it eats mostly um, truffles. So it eats mostly fungus. So it's a very interesting animal. Oh, wow. It eats all the things that we love. <laughs> I, I, I did not know what a beton was. Uh, when Nell's talking about school children not being able to identify a beton, I had no idea what a beton was. It sounded like it was something made up. So um, everyone's very aware of the Tasmanian devil, Taz, the character, and a few of the other ones. But interestingly enough, one of the um, endangered animals in Australia, the bilby, it gained prominence in Australia through people um, giving people chocolate bilbies instead of chocolate rabbits at Easter time. Mm. So I I, I guess there is a bit of a a history of us um, not going beyond the kangaroo, the koala, uh, some of the, the very significant Australian animals. When we get to much smaller little things like there's eight microbats in Tasmania, I wouldn't have known about them. I don't know at night time when you go outside that they're there. But it's, um, yeah, it's fascinating. I've just really been educated on what a baton and a, what is this, a bilby? So audience, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to include these animals in the show's notes so you can really understand exactly what they are. <laughs> but it's just so fascinating, you guys, how science, research, and art, how they just, they almost have themselves a species hotel when you think about it. I, you know, so I really enjoy that. Now, how have you seen the impact? Now, what would you say the impact is on many of the local people, because I I remember you earlier before we hit the record button, you mentioned your interaction with some of the people and um, uh, some of the scientists. Yes, we had a day out yesterday um, on country with uh, about 25 Aboriginal students, with Aboriginal elders and with Aboriginal educators. And it was lovely because, well, it started the day where we had... um, it was very cold. It was like minus three degrees and it was frosty on the landscape. And we started, the students started um, listening to some of the, well, well actually we, we began with a, an Aboriginal dance. So we had some of the Aboriginal students do a welcome dance and put ochre um, paint on on students' foreheads and um, and they had a, had stories, the ochre stories were about sort of pictures of the moon and the sun rising. So the students were had these prints um, on their hands and foreheads that they were talking about being very proud to share with their families in the evening and they, I'm going to leave this on, you know, to, um, so that was, that was very special. And uh, one child um, yesterday, she came up to me and she said, Nell, Nell, I just found a wombat hole. Mm-hmm. And, um, and just over by the barn where we were based, there was this big wombat hole. And we talked about this wombat hole, which was like almost big enough for a child to crawl in. Um, and so we, we actually put a, a bit of a stick down to see which, you know, the, the passageway of these holes. And it was very interesting because we, in exploring that hole, we looked at, there was a very big hole, as you know, where, as, as I said, where a child would fit through. And we talked about that this wouldn't be just this generation of wombats, but this would be the generation of maybe 
this hole was 300 or a thousand years old. And like the trees around us were old growth trees of 300 years old and with big tree hollows in them and then underneath. So I felt that that student was really connecting, was, was investigating the landscape where we were and really and, and finding this hole and, and coming to me very excitedly to, to share the hole. So a group of us went and put our arms in and there's a story about a little boy who actually went down into a wombat hole, you know, and I was telling them about that and they were saying, well, you'd have to be careful because, you know, sometimes snakes go in there. So it was just this lovely lovely sort of connection with the landscape that that wouldn't have happened um a lot of those students haven't really spent much time in the landscape like that before yes i i just wanted to add to um what nell was saying about that connection with community just talking about those school children um in the past when we've installed the species hotels so literally we have them on the back of a truck flying down the highway and it gets lifted by a tractor into place so we make these things there but it's equally important that the school children have something to do while we're we're installing on site and so with the first uh, lot of hotels that we put in Nell and I came up with the idea that the the students need to make some room service or some takeaway for the animals that would be coming to the the hotels. So they became naturally in Ross pies. They became these clay pies which had a lot of native seeds and different things in it and um, we then took these little pies that students had made that would um, first bring the ants and the the little um, small biota because then they would become food for the bigger animals and it would keep going on as such. But the the town we're in is famous for its pies and so we we took these little pies and we made a, a big pie plate and put them outside these two bakeries and put all their little pies around it. And we cut out some large knives and forks so people could get the the understanding of this collage of elements together with a with a little sign in the middle telling them who had made these pies and what were they for and it was to to welcome the um the animals and the the arrival of the species hotels in town and i i have heard of people that i've met much later on and said we saw those things outside the um the bakery what was going on there like we we saw we knew you had to be involved in that we were there um because it's in the middle of tasmania it becomes a meeting point for a lot of people so there's meetings held there so when they go and get their pies all these different people saw it it was a bit it was a bit underground in the way that it was sort of proffering or getting people's at, at attention to it. I believe Nell's just about sequestered um, a, a road sign now which says Species Hotel, which um, will be as you enter into the town, we're, we're slowly getting a, a stronger presence. We're just so involved in talking and being with so many people just getting the the basics down is a bit of an issue sometimes that's so brilliant because of the way you guys are using instead of just telling people about the species and about the environment and what's happening you're showing them and i love the way that I'm, i'm not sure if you've thought of it like as a public art type of project but you're using like a public art type of project that includes the students and then even the people that are coming in like you're like the leaving the little pie so that they ask questions it'll just make such a deeper impact have you guys found that more people have been coming to see these species hotels since you've started these projects have more people been coming in and and learning about the environment I, w- I would say definitely yes, and it's not just in Tasmania as well. I've um, I've been invited to go to other parts of Australia to to talk about this. I actually met an an American architect from Buffalo who also um, designed sculptures for animals, and um, it was 
it was a wild notion to think that someone else was doing exactly what we were doing just in a, a different part of the world, but I had to meet them in another part of Australia to, to know about these things. And, and through um, Instagram and the sharing of all these different things, just the, the ability to find out what's going on and, and make connections because recently there was a large ecological conference held here um, for Australia and through that we were invited to present this work along with the research from the scientists as well as take um, scientists on a field trip to see it and it was fantastic to see a bunch of scientists and their first reaction to the species hotel was just to walk up straight up to them and look inside the holes and the crevices just to see if there was something in there. They, there was no hold bar. They, they just, they didn't stand back and admire. They were just instantly in there with their heads in there, just trying to find out what was there because I'm sure to them it was quite a distinctive form, quite playful. They were probably a bit perplexed and thinking, does anything live in here? So, so many opportunities and ways that people have interacted with it and and speaking to both of yourselves like it's just remarkable how um a very low cost activity which just seems to keep giving and giving in terms of people and being able to tell them about this like um nell hasn't had a chance to tell you but there's nearly a million trees that have been planted in that landscape to create a wilderness corridor that goes from one side of the valley to the other side of the valley. So they've made a new highway for animals that crosses the road highway that goes down the middle of Tasmania. So now what kind of impact have you seen that highway have on the environment? How long has it been been there? Is it, has it been a slow process through the 20 years putting together that highway? I'm so, oh, the... Um the biodiversity highway it follows the riparian area so along a river the macquarie river so the process has been about engaging landholders there so we've got a number of really prominent landholders who are leading the way and then other landholders say oh you know this is happening on this property and we can join with that so we've got a range of different landholders now that are engaged in actually creating a sort of covenants over that landscape to actually create that that wildlife corridor as we call it or the the highway through so those trees um, you know the reason for the species hotels was that those trees were quite small of course in the first couple of years and it takes approximately um, you know 30 to 50 years for those trees to develop hollows and habitats and so um, the, the idea of the species hotels was that for those um, that we could create those hollows and habitats while the trees were growing. So they're basically a temporary structure that will eventually break down as the trees grow and, and create that real habitat. As Nell was saying, it goes back to the earth eventually. When it does decay, it, it actually becomes the understory for a lot of the little animals that she's been talking about. So it's not easy to design for the animals that live in the, the understory. They like a lot of mess and they like really thorny bushes and different things to, to live in. And because it's on old farmland, uh, the pasture grass, um, it takes a lot for anything to grow there and it gets flooded. The, the first year that we were installing, it flooded four times on that parcel of land. So the species hotels um, ended up being shown in an art gallery because we couldn't actually go and install them on the site. It, it took another six months to actually be able to get on the site because it was so boggy. Wow, that, that, that's really amazing. Now, now, what upcoming events? I, I don't think you're busy enough now. Um, <laughs> what upcoming events or programs do you have head, heading out there in uh, Tasmania? Well, Louise and I are always looking for, you know, exciting extensions. Um, you know, the Species Hotel has been happening and it's very successful. And we've just applied for um, something that complements that and it's called the Eagle Purchase Project. So we've got a little bit of funding over the next three years to create these um, 
structures on um, electricity poles. So we have, have wedge-tailed eagles in Tasmania that are actually endangered. And so they're, they're, uh, the biggest threat to the wedge-tailed eagle is being electrocuted on electric wires. So we've got um, PhD researchers who are looking at uh, tracking wedge-tailed eagles in the Midlands of Tasmania. And so what we've proposed to our funders is that we produce some eagle perches to create safe perching places for the wedge-tailed eagles and that they will be at prominent sites both in in the Midlands in in Ross and at various sites where people driving by can go oh what is that up there you know and this is a creating an architectural piece an art artistic piece um, that promotes the wedge-tailed eagle safety. So this is our, our new project for the next three years. <laughs> yes, so that's the Eagle Porch project, is that correct? Perch, P-E-R-C-H. So it's a, an, a, a platform where the eagles can perch above the electricity lines, the transmission lines, and that they can actually sit on there and that they're safe from, from electrocution. That's awesome. We're, we'll definitely have that in the show's notes. <laughs> I, I was going to, to say that um, the reason why these perches are important and we're not building homes for the eagles is that they like to nest um, very much up in the, the tall trees. And because the, the Midlands is very much um, open farmland, there's no trees. So for them to get around and do their hunting, they land or make connections with the electricity poles. So by providing something distinctive that the public's a bit more aware about, but as well, how do you make something distinctive to an eagle? I don't know, but we're going to be working on how do you attract an eagle to sit on a perch instead of trying to make contact with an electricity pole and the wires at the same time. And more fantastic about that is the funding that we've got this time round means that we can go above three metres because we've got all this support to get up high on electricity poles, which will have a greater um, visual presence, hopefully not related to accidents of any sort, but um, I doubt they'll let us do that. But it's also going to have monitoring equipment on it, which the school children are they then going to have access to the collection of what happens with these perches. Do they get used? Who's visiting them? Do the, do the wedgetail eagles go and visit it? Or have we got a series of the, the whole bird family come and stand on these perches surveying what's around the fields? So where can we find more about some of the projects that you, you both are doing? You could uh, link up with the Greening Australia website. So you just need to Google Greening Australia and there's some information there on the species hotels that you can find. Also just Googling species hotel will put you into connection with um, different articles, news articles, different things like that um, from the School of Architecture and Design. And, and then we um, also have some social media platforms that we can put you and your listeners in connection with that they can have a have a look of these things. That's really fascinating. So do you guys have a book or one book or two that you guys would suggest for us or our listeners to take a look at? <laughs> well, I've written one and it's called My Patch cool. and it's a, a resource for teachers and I can share the link with you if you'd like so that I've actually just created as a, an online digital book um, and it's all about discovering your place and the changes in your place over time. So it's actually a teacher resource um, but lots of families um, actually use it um, with their children so it's... Uh, so uh, that's that's my plug, and I'm happy to share that link with you. And we look forward to checking that book out for sure. <laughs> and, we'll, and we'll definitely keep it in the show's notes. How about you, Louise? Um, I also have something that's a book that's related to children, but it's um, 
for me, it's important as a, an adult or someone who's trying to remain creative, how to, to keep that eye and being able to see things. And um, the book I like is How to Be an Explorer of the World, The Portable Life Museum. That's by Kerry Smith, which is lots about, and it's this combination, surprisingly enough, of artists and scientists. And it's about observation and how you inquire and you look at things, but it's how you collect and you present these things that you look at that are around you so it can either be your built environment or your natural environment so it's 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 interconnected so I I find that fascinating and I I use that with my students some of those ideas as well as it works equally well with um, primary school students so it's um, it's graphically great too. It's all about sketchbooking, basically, but being an explorer. Can't wait to look that up. We really appreciate you guys being on our podcast and telling us about your fantastic programs. I know I can't wait to hear the response from the listeners and we all, we all audience, we don't, I'm not sure if we've talked to you about it, but our nieces and nephews watch or listen to the show all the time. So we can't wait to share these resources with them too. Yeah, so we have science, research, oh, art, what else? Community, uh, getting community. together, and, mm. and the environment being the animals, yeah. <laughs> your environment <laughs> animals. And even with these wedge-tailed eagles, we have technology. so we appreciate hearing from from the both of you thank you so much for joining the show thank you it's been a pleasure thank you it's 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 lovely talking to you both and learning about your podcast too i really enjoyed talking to louise and nell there's so much we can learn from them yeah that was so clever seeing how art science research All these things, they've been used as a tool to not only help humans, but also animal life and to make both of these species feel as though they have a place. And I found it really clever seeing how Nell and Louise, they help some of these young artists to create that room service or takeaway when creating those clay pies, which attracted some of the insects and the ants and the different various insects into that environment, which actually had a domino effect that improved the other animal life in that area. And that was also a really interesting point that Nell brought out about how many of the students that she was working with knew of animals that were in Africa, but didn't know about many of the animals that they live with there in Tasmania, especially since Tasmania has is just teeming with all kinds of interesting life that isn't found on other parts of the planet. It was just such a good example. The way they approach this project really resonates with me a lot. Because when I'm working on a mural or I'm in the studio working on a project, I think about how these pieces will resonate in an environment and with people. Yeah, I think after listening to this, we'll definitely be looking at our environment differently, the terrain, paying closer attention to the animals that we live with on a daily basis or maybe the ones that we don't even see. Yeah, how about the people that we live with? That's <laughs> yes, true. We want to pay a closer, close attention to the people that we live next to as well. Awesome. Well, we want to thank you once again for joining us in this podcast. And if you'd like to hang out with us a little bit more, feel free to join us at cls.studio. That's class without an A. Dot studio. Or you can find us at our social media at Just Glaze Channing and at Leah Smithson Art. But thank you once again. We know there's so many other things that you can be doing with your time, but you're here with us today, and we really want to thank you for that. Thank you for listening in to Vessel Art as a Doorway.